Now, let's jump into God's word this morning. And as I said, we're in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, and you can turn with me there and follow along. If you have a Bible, you can use that or grab one of the Bibles in the seat pockets in front of you. And the passage that we'll read this morning is a section of a message that Jesus preached on the Mount of Olives. And when I visited Israel a few years ago, and I've shared this before, the Mount of Olives was my favorite place on the entire trip. It overlooks the the old city of Jerusalem. And I had a few hours before my flight, I decided to take a jog. And I went to the top of the Mount of Olives, just me and nobody else, me and the Lord. And, And I was thinking about this passage of scripture as Jesus is teaching to his disciples in that moment. And Jesus starts this message by answering his disciples' questions in chapter 24 about the coming of the end of the age. Now, it's interesting to see that they were fascinated with this concept. And here we are like 2,000 years later, and we're still fascinated with this idea of the end of the age. And he says there will be wars and famine and earthquakes. He tells them that there will be false prophets and people who claim the name of Jesus. Then he says, after the days of tribulation, that the Son of Man will return, coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with glory. Now that's something to look forward to. But then he says, concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So basically, don't ask me when it's going to happen. I don't know. (laughs) The Father's the only one who knows. So if, if Jesus doesn't even know, then we need to be ready. And he says this in Matthew 24, Verses 43 to 44 says, But know this, that the master, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you don't expect. Now, that's an incredible truth, and that should bring our level of awareness up. Then he goes on to tell a parable about this wise servant who who has his his master's given him charge of his household and and told him to keep it ready for his return. And the master says, I'm going to return. And when the faithful servant, when he returned, he was rewarded. But then another master gave charge to a wicked servant, and he wasn't ready, and he was punished as a result, and that's the parable right before the one that we're going to talk about today. It's the parable of the ten virgins at the wedding feast. Now, I want to ask a question this morning. Has anyone been to a wedding representative of a different culture before? I remember the first time I went to an African wedding. Now, we had a lot of friends from Togo in West Africa, and so we were invited to one of our friends' weddings. And aside from the pastor who was doing the wedding ceremony, he was American, this wedding was completely unrecognizable from anything I'd ever seen at an American wedding. It was a party. Uh, The food was prepared by friends of the bride. We had goat and rice and um, chicken marinated in all sorts of different spices that, that our palates weren't used to. They had sauces that you could add. Some of them were so spicy that one little taste of it could clear your sinuses. The dancing was different. Uh, They didn't even do the Cupid shuffle at this wedding. 
But the biggest difference was definitely the photographer situation. <laughs> in an American wedding, we normally hire a photographer or a team of photographers and videographers to take staged pictures and to capture highlights from the day. And most of the time, they kind of stay out of the way. They don't want to be part of the wedding. They just want to capture that wedding. But at this wedding, the photographers and the videographers were friends of the bride and groom. And they didn't have any maybe official status, but they also didn't have any reservations about being part of the show. In fact, at one point during the wedding ceremony, there were five different people on stage with cameras, and they were right up in the business of the bride and groom. I think the pastor was, was a little bit in shock in that moment. <laughs> so when we read the parable about this wedding feast, we need to understand the culture and the traditions of an ancient Jewish wedding to fully appreciate the picture of what Jesus is trying to say. Now, Jewish marriages would have been arranged by the families well in advance and negotiated so that at the appropriate time, the, two, uh, the, married, the couple that was to be married would enter into the betrothal period. And we know about this a little bit from Mary and Joseph, but there was a ceremony as well. They would make vows to each other, but they wouldn't actually be married at that point until about a year later. And during this betrothal, um, it was a legal joining, so if they wanted to separate, they would need a certificate of divorce. However, this was about getting to know each other. They wouldn't live together until after the actual wedding. So a year would pass, and then on the wedding day, they would have another ceremony. They would swear vows to each other again, uh, usually at the home of the bride, and then everyone from the wedding would leave. And they would finally be alone. Now, they would consummate the marriage, and then after they spent that time alone, they would, there would be a procession from the bride's parents' home to their new home, and their family and friends and the people from the community would wait for them at that house. So with that in mind, let's read the text this morning. And we're going to start at verse 1. It says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So these young women would have been friends of the bridegroom or friends of the bride. And they're meeting the couple on the way to escort them ceremoniously to the home where the party would begin. Now the lamps that they would have had would have effectively been torches. They would have, been, uh, they would have had a, a ball at the top with a cloth that was soaked in oil, and then they would have to replenish the oil as it burned down. And, and that would keep their lamps lit. Now let's keep reading in verse 2. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. So five of them were foolish. Now, the Greek word for foolish here is the word moros, which we get our word moron from. And wise is the Greek word phronimos, which means judicious or having sound judgment. So half of them 
were morons, and the other half had their heads screwed on properly onto their shoulders. Now, let's keep reading in verse 5. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. So you can imagine, picture this scene. They're waiting and waiting and waiting, and the bridegroom doesn't show up. And they eventually drift off and fall to sleep. Now, I don't know why the bridegroom has been delayed. Maybe because he finally ditched his family and he's enjoying some alone time with his wife. But whatever reason they are there, they're, they're running late for some reason. Now, remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And in the previous chapter, and based on their questions, they're thinking about the kingdom of God and that it's coming immediately. And Jesus is telling them, no, it's not going to come when you're expecting it. It might be a while. Um, you have to be patient in waiting for this. Uh, let's keep reading in verse 6. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. Now this fits the description of the return of Christ as a thief in the night, right? Midnight would not be a normal time to start a wedding feast. It would have normally started early in the evening. But Jesus is telling his disciples, this is not what you're expecting. He's trying to let them know that, that they've got it wrong. Let's, let's keep reading. So then the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, rather go to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now that's a really sad ending to this story. And unfortunately, this is the reality that Jesus is sharing with us. There are many that will miss out on heaven because they weren't ready. I, I want us to look back at the verses that we just read and pull some important truths from them. And I, there are four different things that I noticed. And, and here's the first one. Many people who go to church aren't ready to meet Christ. Like, I think it's significant that half of the women who were going to the party missed out. Now, I'm not saying that this means that half the people in this room right now are fake Christians and we need to figure out who they are. No, I'm just saying that there are a lot of people who profess to be a Christian, but they don't have a real relationship with Jesus. And, and I'm confident that this applies to our church community just like it does to others as well. Now, I would never presume to know where you're at in your relationship with God, but I've been around church long enough to know that people can be really good at faking it. Now, maybe there's enough oil in your lamp to fool those around you. But when it comes to eternity, you're not prepared. 
Here's the second thing I want us to notice. It's that we don't know when our time will come. Now, I have a tendency to be a bit of a procrastinator, especially when I was younger. It's something that I've had to work on. and I've had a lot of growth in this area, but it's still a struggle. And when I was a student, um, especially in college, I would wait until uh, the night before something was due to either write a paper or study. And I remember one time starting a paper at 1 a.m. that was due at 7.30 a.m. the next morning. And at some point, my writing, uh, in my writing, I drifted off to sleep, and I woke up at 4 a.m. in a panic. And I managed to scramble and finish that paper and drag myself down to class. But I got to be honest, it was not my best work. It made little sense. I got a bad grade. And on that instance, the cost was pretty small, but the cost of missing the return of Christ is much greater. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, it's been 2,000 years, right? He's not coming back now. Now, that's a risk, and maybe that'll work out for you, but can I tell you something else? Tomorrow isn't guaranteed for any of us. I've been to and done enough funerals of young people to know that tragedy can strike at any moment. Third thing I want us to notice is that you can't borrow someone else's faith. Remember what happened to the, the virgins at midnight? They all woke up when they heard the bridegroom was coming, and the foolish virgin said to the wise, give us some of your oil. This is an incredible picture of how many of us cling to the faith of our parents or our spouse or our friends. We just assume that because we're with them that somehow their faith will save us. In reality, Jesus has called you to repentance. And if you're counting on your family or friends to bring you into eternity with Jesus, this parable is a clear indication that not everyone gets to go. For some of you, maybe it's time to start asking the difficult questions. Now that brings us to the fourth thing. And that's that there's no access once the door is shut. Now, Hell isn't a popular subject today, but surprisingly, most Americans believe it exists. According to a 2021 study by Pew Research, 62% of the population and 79% of people who claim to be Christians believe in hell. So if that's the case, why are so few people motivated by the process of spending an eternity in hell? Why do most Americans fail to even attend church on a Sunday. And the only logical conclusion that I can think of is that they don't think they're going there. And this is backed up by the fact that according to this same study, more than half of the people who believe in hell think that someone who doesn't believe in God can go to heaven. Now, this is what Jesus means when he refers to people who don't have enough oil for their lamps. They're aware of the truth, or at least part of it. But they're unprepared for the ultimate reality of eternity. Now, as a pastor, I don't use hell to scare people to making a commitment for Christ. In fact, I found that if you threaten an unbeliever with hell, that, that might be enough motivation to scare them into 
saying a prayer, but unless they grasp the truth of the gospel, there's little likelihood of any real repentance taking place. The interesting thing to me is that Jesus didn't preach this message to the lost sheep of Israel, warning them about their future. He preached it to the disciples to share with them the urgency of this message that they would share with others. This message should motivate us who believe to give our friends, our neighbors, and relatives every opportunity to meet Christ. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. So my prayer is that we would be driven by the Holy Spirit to reach as many people as we possibly can for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this story and for the truth in your word, Lord. We thank you that, that you gave us every opportunity to come to you through faith. Lord, I pray that that burden of, of people all around this world who don't know about you, who don't know about the love um, that you have to offer, Lord, would motivate us and stir our hearts to share that with the world around us. Lord, help us not to take this lightly, but to be wise and to be prepared and to help others in this journey as well so that many can enter the party of heaven with you, of eternity with you. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your church. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.